I enjoy it so much as our children leave, watching them skip out as if they had no care in the world, watching them sucking on a lollipop as if they have no cares in the world. But for those of us who carry a lot of care, I invite us now to prayer. O Holy One, we gather with hearts aching for people on the other side of the world with whom we share basic humanity, whose religion shares our intent to be a better people, a saved people, a saving people. And we gather horrified by the evil and the violence perpetrated on them, our sisters and brothers at worship at a place where they should have been safe. And evil spawned by hatred and fueled by fear and encouraged by racist speech. And we repent this day the invasion of lies and racial suspicion. And we repent our own temptations to hatred. Walk beside us, we pray, that we would have the courage to resist evil in the world and in ourselves, that we would have the grace to love everyone, that we would tend to the mentally ill instead of inciting them to violence. Well, forgive us our empty thoughts and hollow prayers. Lead us to be doers of your words of love and grace. Guide us to be a courageous people who follow Jesus in the laying down of our lives to save a broken and violent humanity. Guide us to be a holy people opposing the hate and the hate speech with words and behavior of love. In the name of the one who taught us to love, Jesus. Amen. Where have you seen God? What God looked like? Was there a particular race, a gender, anything special? How old did God look? Our text has two stories. In which one did you see God? One, the other, both. Two weeks ago, our young people spoke of this passage about the transfiguration and spoke of transformation in their own lives. And I hope you heard them. And I hope it filled you with hope as it did me. I hope it filled you with pride in them and their journeys and encouraged you by their faith. But I want us to see both passages today. And it's intriguing to me that when you place these two stories side by side, how they seem to be so opposite each other. And one, Jesus goes up on the mountain with a hand-picked group of people. And the other, they're not on a mountain, they're in the valley with a motley crowd around them. In one, the disciples are weighed down with sleep and barely able to keep their heads up. In the other, there's a father whose sleep is interrupted constantly with the, the cries of a sick child. In one, there is prayer. In the other, there is no prayer. In one, there is this dazzling appearance. And in the other, there is a desperate man begging. In one, there is the glory of celebrities. 
Big names, Moses and Elijah for them. And the other, no celebrities, just a damaged child who was of little value in that world. And certainly not a celebrity. In one, there is this this desire to build a shrine and to mark this holy place. In the other, there is this stark description of suffering and futility. In one, the disciples feel empowered to build. In the other, they are unable to help even a child. One is oriented to the future. And one is stuck in this very painful present moment. So where do you see the Holy One? Maybe it depends on who you ask. The disciples certainly saw it on the mountain. They wanted to build a hall of fame. But if you ask the boy's father, his confession would be, I need to see him here. Years ago, I learned how, and I've been able to practice it numerous times since then, the practice of some guided imagery, doing some relaxation with folks and guiding them to something as they imagine it. It can be very helpful and very healing. And I like asking them to, in the relaxed state to go to their sacred place. And after we've walked through that, then to ask them about that sacred place and have them tell me about that sacred place. And without fail... We go to the mountains, or we go to the beach, or we go to a cabin on a lake, or we go to the forest, or a river. No one has ever told me that they chose a jail cell at the LaGrange Reformatory, sweaty with desperation. Nobody's ever said they've gone to the intensive care unit at Children's Hospital where a baby cries constantly because they were born addicted. Nobody talks about going to that place where a teenage boy who is neurologically impaired throws himself around the room because he can't stop himself. The disciples saw something sacred on the mountain. Mount Sinai was their sacred place, a place where Moses met God. Here the mountain theme is invoked again. Here they're seeing God again. Here there's new insight that Jesus is more than they ever imagined. And for them it's a place that's that's up. It's a place away from danger and it's safe and it's beautiful and it's dazzling and it's triumphant. But God with a sick boy cannot see God in a father who begs for his boy giving up any shred of dignity that he might have left. They cannot see God in this father who chooses to stay with this damaged child in a religious atmosphere that questions his acceptance to God, always asking, well, who sinned? Did you do that or did the boy do that? It's somebody's fault that he's like this. Over the years, working with a number of ill, damaged children, Quite often, there was only one parent. And the question we always raise is, where's the other parent? And so often the answer was, they couldn't handle this, and they left. Here, the father cannot fix, he cannot heal, but he does not leave. And the disciples cannot fix and they cannot protect or heal. 
and the child still suffers. Where is that place of vulnerability for you? Where it's so much harder to see anything sacred. Where our own humanity cannot fix the pain around us or even within us. Where is that place where we hear our own voice resonate with this father who says, I begged your disciples to heal my boy and they couldn't. What feels so broken to you that it can never be fixed? And yet, this is where Jesus shows up. Why does Luke set these stories back to back? I'm no mind reader. I certainly can't read Luke's mind from the first century, and I'm not much of a biblical scholar. But I have to tell you, I need these stories together. I need the sacred place on the mountain. I need to feel the burning in my lungs hiking up to a a beautiful place of perspective and range. I need to drink in the creator with the creation. To feel the beauty that envelops me in that great place and feel the silence of it seep into my soul. To bring up the issues that I run from and the heartache that I feel. To confess failures and sins. And yes, yes, to see a vision of what can be, indeed what will be. I need that space to hear that voice that says to me, listen. That voice that has announced again the identity of Jesus as God's chosen one. Listen to this one who speaks of his own suffering and death and resurrection. Listen to him. Listen to him as he invites us to follow him. And who in that process is announcing that we too are chosen. We too are sons and daughters of God. And hear your identity and mine. Hear this one who's not interested in creating a hall of fame on the mountain. But he's interested in going down to the broken child in the valley. And the transfiguration occurs and it's mystical. And I need that mysticism. I need that voice from the cloud. I need my identity confirmed. Listen, the voice said. And when it all dissipated, those words, they found Jesus alone. It's so hard to think of the loneliness of God. But if I believe that God loves us, if I believe that God loves the whole world, then it surely follows that God has a lot of grief. And grief involves loneliness. They're told to listen and they find him alone and they kept silent. Some things are too much for words. Some things are so overwhelming we can't put them together. And then in the valley, there's a shrieking child and a begging father and failure on the disciples' part. And Jesus says to them, you faithless generation. They didn't teach us to talk to people that way in seminary. That's not very pastoral. But what 
occurs to me is the disciples attempted this without Jesus. Tried to go it on their own. And I hear the words ring in my own mind when I try to do everything by myself and I forget about faith and I forget about the enabling presence of the Spirit. But Jesus heals and all are astounded. Probably like to have an instant replay so they can be astounded all over again. And suddenly... The sacred is there. God in a place where we'd not thought God would be. And the day in the hospital, the boy throws himself around in spasms he cannot control. I suddenly see two men the size of NFL linebackers standing by his bed. And all they're doing is protecting him. They're catching him. So that he can't hurt himself on those hard surfaces. And I see doctors and nurses who've trained all their lives for this moment. This is, I think I belittle it by comparing it this way, but this is their championship moment. This is what they've trained for, what they've lived for, and they're doing everything they can to relieve this suffering. And it's far more important than any trophy. And I see God in that room. And the baby crying constantly, I see a nurse that I've known for a long time whose face is weathered by years of caring for children, most of whom got well, some of whom did not, and some of whom come back again and again. And in moments between patients, she is rocking that child. And I see God. Yesterday, driving here for the funeral for Phoebe and feeling the heaviness of that. Feeling the heaviness of the violence in New Zealand, we drove past a demonstration on Westport Road. Nobody demonstrates on Westport Road. (laughs) But they're young people holding signs drawing attention to the violence in New Zealand and to the hate speech that's aimed at them. And they stand there in their vulnerable demand for justice. And there's God. And in Pittsburgh, where the slaughter took place in the synagogue and the Muslim community raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for the victims of that craziness, There's God. And that same synagogue is now raising money for the victims of violence in New Zealand, and there is God. It's not that we see the Holy One in one story or the other, but in both places. And when we're high and we can see further and we get a vision, we're seeing God. And when we're down in the valley and we see the sickness and the need, we're seeing the potential for God there. And when we discover sacred direction, we're seeing God. And when we dare to be vulnerable, we're seeing God. And when we see kindness and mercy and justice and forgiveness and reconciliation and healing and love, there's God. 
I wish you could see what I see on Sunday morning. I look out and I see God. Everywhere I look in this space, I see God. God is not limited to mountains. God is wherever God's children are. God is wherever God's creation is. And the question, the question is, am I looking? Amen.